Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So you go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary and every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash bpshow. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yep, Donald Trump says our intelligence agencies are all wrong, and he is right. Who do you trust? Hello, everybody. Here we go. The last day of January 2019, January 31. So good to see you today, and thank you so much for joining us, for being part of the program, for starting out your day the right way, the liberal way, the progressive way here on The Bill Press Show, coming to you live from Washington, D.C., and the right in the heart of the action. We're located right on Capitol Hill, just down the street from the United States Capitol Building, bringing you the news of the day here in Washington, what's going on at the Congress. Big meeting yesterday, the very first meeting of that... um, committee put together, bipartisan committee, to make their recommendation to the Congress and to the president on how to resolve this issue of border funding, border security funding, in order to avoid another shutdown on February 15. They met for the first time yesterday, just getting started, but at least that was underway. Uh, And down at the White House, nothing going on except uh, more tweets from Donald Trump, where, as I indicated above, one of the big tweets is where he said that all of our intelligence agencies, the head of the CIA, the head of the FBI, the director of national intelligence, uh, and the head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, they don't know what they're talking about. They're all wrong, and he is right. Um, I beg to differ. I would much rather put my trust in those intelligence agencies who have their eyes and ears on the ground all around the world and know what's going on than Donald Trump, who just lives in his little bubble, either in the White House or in Mar-a-Lago. At any rate, we'll take you through the news of the day, and your job is to tell us what it all means to you. Do so by sending us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. Lots to talk about, but first... (laughs) 
This is the Full Court Press. All righty, just a couple of other stories making news. So the Super Bowl is coming up this Sunday, Bill. Oh, this Sunday? This All Sunday, right. yeah. It will be the New England Patriots. God, the... I've got so many Super Bowl party invitations. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. Well, it's going to be the New England Patriots against the L.A. Rams. Well, here's the thing that you need to know about the Patriots. Uh, they are one of the most hated teams in football. Nowhere in the world are they more hated, probably, than in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. The Steelers football team of Pittsburgh, they really hate the Patriots. So you can imagine that uh, a TV producer in Pittsburgh might be a hero when he put up a picture of Tom Brady during the newscast that said Tom Brady, and then underneath it it said, known cheater. No, really. This, of course, stems to the multiple uh, problems that the Patriots have had with cheating, both videotaping their opponents before a game during practice and also, remember, Deflategate, of course. Yeah. Well, that TV producer has been fired. Oh. They let him go. They let no. him go from KDKA TV. Uh, the station said that's they all in be- fun. I, he said, I just did it. His quote was, I did it, quote, as a little wink for our fans. But apparently his employer thought that that was too much, went too far. He lost his job over it. By the way, on that topic, maybe you're going to talk about it, Roger Goodell finally acknowledged yesterday. Yes. I was actually going to talk about that in the next hour, but let's talk about it right now because we talked about how the <laughs> Saints, the New Orleans Saints, were robbed right. uh, when a no-call happened during the game. Uh, also, people have pointed out, and rightfully so, that the New England Patriots caught a lot of terrible uh, uh or cut a lot of breaks in their favor due to terrible officiating. Roger Goodell actually spoke about it yesterday, said that it's, uh, everybody's human, said that there could be some changes that will be made to how they do reviews and things like that, but this is not a problem that technology can solve, is how he put it. Yeah, he seemed to uh, say, yeah, acknowledge there's a problem, but he wasn't in a hurry to do anything about it. Nope, not at all. No, in terms not of replays all. or he said he didn't want somebody, you know, sitting in a TV studio a thousand miles away to make a call or something like that. So. This is the Bill Press Show. How the hell did Donald Trump become president? Well, Sarah Huckabee Sanders says that's because God wanted him there in the Oval Office and God put him there. Not my God. I don't know about yours. Hey, hello, everybody. Here we go on a Thursday, the last day of January 2019, Thursday, January 31. Hello, hello, hello. And welcome. Welcome to the Bill Press Show. Here we are. It is a, a very, very busy day here in Washington. <laughs> Donald Trump is already tweeting up a storm. Uh, let's go back to bed, roll over, go back to bed, turn off the TV. Uh, and we are with you to talk about the news of the day. Good to see you today and good to be with you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Good to join you on television. Hey, all of you out there on Free Speech TV, the Direct TV Network. And on the radio, you're looking good on the radio on WCPT out in Chicago and the Chicago area and also statewide in Indiana. On Indiana Talks with lots to talk about today, uh, lots of news happening, never a dull news day, as we say, in Trump world. 
Uh, but the number one story remains the cold, the polar vortex that is still gripping the country in absolutely unbelievable freezing weather. Uh, some of the some of the uh, temps that I saw yesterday, uh, Grand Rapids, uh, South Dakota, South, North Dakota, I believe, North Dakota, with wind chill minus 75, minus 75 wind chill. You know, good God, what do you do in that? I mean, <laughs> I know what you don't do. Well, you can't stay outside you long. Don't in go that outside. Yeah, right. Uh, Park um, Park Rapids. Uh, out in the plains there somewhere, not even sure what state that is, maybe also South Dakota, North Dakota. But it was the the real temperature, not wind chill, was 42 below. And Chicago, with the wind chill coming off the lake, uh, what I saw yesterday was 34 below zero. They're calling it, and uh, to our friends in WCPT <laughs> in Chicago, good morning. I hope you're still in bed with multiple blankets yeah, on top of right. you. Uh, they're calling it Siberia in Chicago because it is so cold. And Peter, you were saying that they, I didn't see this video, Yo. about they're setting the railroad tracks on fire? Yeah. In, in Chicago, I mean, they're not, cold weather is not new to Chicago. Right. This yeah. kind of cold weather is not normal, but it gets really cold in Chicago. And so when it happens, the trains have a real hard time because the tracks are frozen solid. And so what they do and I saw a video of this I'm yesterday. I'm sure the tracks could crack or something. The like tracks that. could crack yeah. and they could yeah. break. They're yeah. all very brittle. It's 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 very dangerous. Uh, all jokes aside, it could be very very dangerous. But the trains need to keep moving. So what they do is they set the tracks on fire. And I, I saw a video of this yesterday, and they sort of spread this uh, uh, flammable kind of grease yeah. Yeah. on the on the tracks. And they light it on fire, so it's just whoosh, it goes up in flames, and it's just these burning train tracks just to warm them up yeah. so that the trains can run. That's amazing. It's wild. Wow. But imagine if they had to shut down all the train service in Chicago, right? I think Amtrak did, but for, but yeah. your, the L, the local train, I think that's what it's called in Chicago, yeah. whatever. Uh, so, whew. Uh, at any rate, also in Michigan. And by, big, and by the way, this is like multiple days. This isn't just yeah. like a crazy oh, no, cold no, snap. No. This started earlier this week, and it's going to last for mm -hmm. at least until tomorrow. Uh, a real crisis in Michigan. There was a fire at a natural gas plant, which means that plant was knocked out of commission, uh, which means there's a natural gas shortage, which means heating oil uh, in people's homes. Uh, there's not enough supply to go around. So the governor yesterday, Gretchen Whitmer, the new governor of Michigan, calling on people to turn their thermostats down. Consumers Energy has asked that everyone in the Lower Peninsula turn our thermostats down to 65 degrees or less from now until Friday at noon. Yeah, 65 degrees. Oh, and put on an extra sweater, wrap yourself in a blanket, but, you know, do, you know, kind of everybody pitch in and let's make sure there's enough natural gas to go around to keep people at least moderately warm, if not what let's, they should let's be. Let's just remind our listeners, body heat is the most effective form there you go. of warmth. Right. Find someone you love. Crawl under the covers. <laughs> Get right? under the covers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and in Kentucky, uh, they've also been experiencing a very, very cold spell down there. But unlike most other states where governors have declared a state of emergency, have said we've all got to work together, we have to help each other out, no. Matt Bevan, uh, the Republican governor of, uh, of Kentucky, he says 
No big, so it's cold. No big deal, you weaklings. Now we cancel school for cold. I mean, well, it's deep freeze. This is serious it business. It is. Come on now. I mean, it's, there's no ice going with it or any oh, snow. I mean, yeah. what happens to America? We're getting soft, Terry. We're it, getting it, soft. Yeah, that was on the radio station, WHAS. Oh, yeah, people are dying in the streets. So what? I mean, come on. You know, we're getting soft. But he, he, By the way, that's not an exaggeration. People are dying in this cold. He, yeah, yes, absolutely. So he picks. He doesn't back down. He picks it up again says, we're teaching our kids the wrong lesson. It does concern me a little bit that in America, on this and any number of other fronts, we're sending messages to our young people that if life is hard, you can curl up in the fetal position somewhere in a warm place and just wait till it stops being hard. And that just isn't reality. I don't think that's a message we're sending. I think the message we're sending is uh, that we care about people uh, and we are a community. And when something like this hits, we all put together and help each other out and we do uh, we do some common sense things right like warn people to stay inside uh and warn people to wear the right clothing and all the kind of, I mean this oh, you just get that soft bill I know I'm getting soft that attitude well uh, uh, it didn't wasn't left to me to, uh, to come down on the governor of Kentucky uh the great Al Roker said you idiot this nitwit governor uh, in Kentucky <laughs> yeah. saying that, oh, we're, we're weak. We're, these are kids who are going to be in sub-zero wind chills. No, cancel school. Stop it. You know, adults, if they want to be out there, that's great. These are our children, you know. I'm glad you're not a teacher. Al yes. Luker is like this, the nicest guy on TV. He is, right. And he's also not a nitwit governor. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. Absolutely. Oh, man. Uh, speaking about nitwit governors, how's this? For, how's that for a segue? Uh, we could also mention the governor of Wisconsin, a nitwit for another reason. Yeah. Uh, well, no longer the former governor. Former governor. Former, of now, former I'm, governor. I'm pleased to be able to say the former governor of Wisconsin, uh, Scott Walker. It was back in 2017 that Scott Walker and Donald Trump lined up out near Madison, Wisconsin, to break ground for the great big new plant. The Foxconn plant. Uh, there's something about that name, by the way, that's very appropriate given what happened. And at that time, they announced they were going to build a $10 billion plant. Uh, we'll hear Donald Trump say it's going to be even bigger than that. Uh, a new manufacturing plant was going to make the uh, great big big screen TVs here in the United States of America. They're the largest manufacturer in China of electronics. They're uh, the ones that make that basically make your iPhone. Yeah. Right, they do for Apple. Yeah, right. They don't yep. make them here in America. Right. No, but they they they're the <clears> ones <throat> that make the iPhone. Yep, for Apple. And so they're going to put a big screen TV plant in Wisconsin, thirteen thousand jobs. Again, Donald Trump goes out with Scott Walker, breaks the ground, bragging about how big this plant's going to be. Jobs are coming back. You saw the uh, Foxconn last week. They're going to spend ten billion, but he is one of the great businessmen of our time. And I think the number is going to be 30 million. So he told me off billion. the record, he thinks he may go 30, 30 billion. Think of this. He may go $30 billion investment. But he told me that off the record, so I promised I wouldn't tell anybody. Uh-huh. Donald Trump actually, at the groundbreaking, called it the eighth wonder of the world. <laughs> of course he did. Uh, yeah, the eighth wonder of the world, this new plant in Wisconsin. And we learned yesterday... It ain't going to happen. They ain't going to build it. Instead, 
they're going to have a fairly small research, no manufacturing jobs at all. Not 13,000, not 11, not 10, not 8, not 5. No, no manufacturing jobs. They're going to have a little research shop there uh, in Wisconsin. It is yet one more Donald Trump promise we've said before. You cannot believe a word he says about anything. You know, this is really, really disgusting. And I, and I, this is 2017 that he made this great. He was president, went out there, broke ground. This was a big deal for Republicans. I mean, I remember when this happened because we, we were all talking about what a bad track record Foxconn has as a company. Right. And they do. Uh, but there's no denying that this was a big deal for Donald Trump uh, and for Scott Walker. 13,000 jobs, I mean, that's a that, that, that's a big shot into the arm for the economy in Wisconsin. I'm not trying to make light of this situation because there's 13,000 no. jobs that are not going to exist. But the story is so bizarre. It, they were never going to build this. No. It was all a Donald Trump pipe dream. Well, so— and- an invention, and he, you know, and by the way, they got tons of positive publicity. Oh out my of it. God! Yeah, and so did Donald Trump. The first year of his presidency, look, I'm already delivering, right? Just yeah. like he promised, I'm already delivering uh, a, a, a new deal with North Korea, and I'm already delivering on this and that and that. He's this was one of his nothing. first big. This was in the summer of 2017, and this yeah. was yeah. He kept talking about the economy that was doing so great that he had nothing to do with. By the way, because this was you know six months after he became president, but there was no denying that this was good news for the economy. And you hit on something. Uh, it, it's not totally clear how much of a lie Donald Trump knew that this was, but I think we both know how much of a lie Donald Trump knew that this was. This idea that was going to be not ten billion but thirty billion. Yeah, yeah, he made that up. It just sounds like he completely made it up. Totally right. Yeah. So uh, it's a very sad story. It is because, by the way, uh, and our good friend Martin Congressman Mark Pocan from Wisconsin pointed out that given this promise, the state has already built roads into this area, uh, started building because there was going to be this whole new population moving in. Um, started planning, if not building, new schools, and had even evicted many farmers from their land to make room for this new plant, which ain't going to happen now. Right. What on earth? Yeah. Really. What a a crazy story. Sort of emblematic of the uh, Trump presidency, uh, the whole whole story about uh, Foxconn. Well... Why don't you guys go back to school? Yeah, that's what Donald Trump said yesterday. <laughs> literally. Uh, yeah, literally in a tweet directed at the top intelligence officers of the United States of America. Now, a couple of things right there. We're talking about the head of the FBI, the head of the CIA, the national the director of national intelligence, and the head of the Joint Chiefs, among a couple of others. These are the top intelligence people in the United States of America. They know more about what's going on on a daily basis. They are our eyes and ears around the world, particularly when it comes to global security. And this was a hearing where they appeared. They do it once a year all together in front of the Senate Intelligence Committee. Um, these are all members. Uh, this are not our top intelligence officers. They're also members of the Trump administration. 
They are people Donald Trump appointed. They are the people he is supposed to be listening to, leaning on, taking advice from on the most important issues facing us, national security. And he, yesterday, trashed every one of them, said they didn't know what they were talking about, and literally, they should go back to school. I want to read his tweets because there were two tweets back to back. The intelligence people seem to have extre- seem to be extremely passive and naive when it comes to the dangers of Iran. They are wrong. When I became president, Iran was making trouble all over the Middle East and beyond. Since ending the terrible Iran nuclear deal, they are much different, but a source of pot- potential danger and conflict. They are testing rockets, capitalized, and more. And are coming very close to the edge. <laughs> Their economy is now crashing. I just want to point out T H E R E there. Uh-huh. The spelling of there. That's, that's right. Their economy. We know he's not a good speller. Their economy is now crashing, which is the only thing holding them back. Be careful of Iran. Perhaps intelligence should go back to school. Now, the irony of him misspelling a pretty easy word (laughs) in the same tweet that he tells people to go back to school is not lost on me. No, right. And also, by the way, so here's what happened. We mentioned this briefly yesterday. uh, And this this whole hearing uh, has not gotten as much news attention as it should. But on issue after issue, the senators, Republicans and Democrats, this was not a, you know, Democratic Party kind of... uh, jumping on the Trump uh, administration. These were senators from both parties asking questions about the foreign policy hotspots or big problems facing us. Okay, what about, let's start right there, the Iran nuclear deal. Donald Trump says uh, Iran was not in compliance. We had to pull out of it. Gina Haspel, head of the CIA, appointed by Donald Trump, says there is no evidence that Iran was not in compliance, or to put it in a positive way, as far as they were concerned, as far as their intelligence shows, Iran had lived up to the nuclear deal, was still living up to the nuclear deal, had destroyed their centrifuges, and everything was working out with that deal. No reason to cancel it. Then they moved on to North Korea. Okay, Donald Trump has said North Korea is no longer a nuclear threat. Dan Coates, the director of national intelligence, says uh, North Korea has not changed one bit. They still have a nuclear weapons program. Maybe they haven't done any more tests, but they're, they still have all their missiles. They don't intend to get rid of them. They are a nuclear power. They intend to stay a nuclear power. And he said they will never surrender their nuclear weapons. Totally contradicting the president. These guys know what they're talking about. Uh, on, a, on another deal, uh, on ISIS. Donald Trump just about a month ago said ISIS has been defeated. Gina Haspel yesterday said ISIS is, st- and Dan Coats, both of them said ISIS is uh, is still a very powerful force. Uh, they've resorted back to guerrilla warfare, and they're going to be there for a long time. And they're a serious threat to Amer- to uh, the United States of America uh, and our allies. It was what was it last week or the week before that there was another ISIS attack that killed oh, yeah. members yeah, of the just military? Last week. Four members of, uh, of, um, of the military, two members of the military, a contractor yeah. and a civilian aide who had stopped in a restaurant for lunch. Yeah. Uh, and ISIS. But ISIS uh, has been defeated. Yeah. yeah, but ISIS has been defeated. So on issue after issue, they said the president is wrong, and, is, and he comes out and then says they got to go back to school. This is not the first time, by the way, 
that he has demeaned and attacked our intelligence agencies, he has still never accepted the fact that all 17, yes, there are 17, of our intelligence agencies said that Russia interfered in the 2016 election in order to help elect Donald Trump. They all said that. Donald Trump called them liars at the time and still has not acknowledged uh, Russia's role in the 2016 election. Uh, and on the, other issue, on the other hand, remember, uh, this is the same group of our intelligence agencies that concluded that, in fact, uh, Mohammed bin Salman, the uh, acting head of Saudi Arabia, had they concluded that he had ordered the killing of journalist Jamal Khashoggi in the um, Saudi embassy a consulate in Istanbul. Donald Trump has never accepted their conclusion about that. So, I mean, you know, I can see a president would disagree with maybe an idea that came from the transportation secretary or Ben Carson, housing and urban development, um, or even the secretary of state. But when all 17 intelligence chiefs say one thing on multiple issues, and Donald Trump not only doesn't agree with them, but publicly demeans them and attacks them, that's trouble, friends. That's trouble. We are putting our trust in a guy who has zero experience in government, zero experience, zero experience in intelligence, and knows absolutely nothing. And we're supposed to trust him over the FBI, the CIA, the NSA, Director of National Intelligence. Go down the list, all of them. <clears throat> you may make that leap of faith. I won't. Well, in fact. It is a leap of faith, as we learned yesterday from uh, Donald, from uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Um, yes, you wonder how did it happen that a guy who was so unqualified, so unprepared to be president of the United States, ended up in the Oval Office? Well, my friends, in an interview yesterday with the Christian Broadcasting Network, led, of course, by the nut Pat Robertson. Uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders tells us how and why it happened. I think God uh, calls all of us to uh, fill different roles at different times, and I think that um, he wanted Donald Trump to become president, and that's why he's there. And uh, I think he has done a tremendous job in supporting a lot of the things that uh, people of faith really care about. Oh, my God. God wanted Donald Trump to be president. No, he didn't. So gross. No, she didn't. So gross. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Any time you bring God into it, you lose the argument. George W. Bush did the yeah. same George thing. George W. Right? Bush said God told him to invade Iraq. Yeah, right? yeah. This is the this is the ultimate refuge of scoundrels, right? Yeah, it is. You know, and that that idea is just. But by the way, if he wanted Donald Trump to be president. He picked a very unchristian model to be president of the United States, right? But it just shows, I mean, uh, if she really believes that, that's pretty frightening. I wonder yeah. about that all the time, you know, whether or not she believes what she actually says. I'm not sure. I, I mean, I, who knows, right? She, yeah. She's the daughter of Mike Huckabee, who is the, one of the biggest hucksters, pardon the pun, that there is in politics. Maybe she actually does believe it. Maybe some of these... Uh, uh, conservative Christians who think that God anointed Donald Trump to be president 
They maybe they actually believe it. Yeah, but you know, I, scary. Yeah, uh, I I mean, as much as I uh, loved him and still do, uh, I would not ever dare to say that it was God's plan that Barack Obama become president. Right. Right. No, he's a, it, it, he, he's he's a good politician. He went out there. He 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 decided to run for office when a lot of people were telling him not to. He ran a brilliant campaign. Uh, he beat Hillary Clinton in the primary, and then he beat John McCain, and he's president of the United States. You know, we all worked that out without God's help here, right? Okay. <laughs> Keep God out of the politics. Um, well, you would think Congress is trying to get back to work on some other issues, okay? So one of the things came up in the Senate yesterday. I, I, I'm sorry. I, I know I'm still naive after all these years. But I would think this would be a no-brainer. And here's the idea. And we've kicked it around here in the, in the studio with the various guests. Let's make it easier for people to vote, okay? Let's, make, let's find ways that we encourage people to vote. And we've talked about a lot of them. You know, you can register to vote when you walk in that particular day. You have early voting. You have plenty of polling places. Um, how about this? How about, well, maybe you vote on weekends instead of on a Tuesday or another idea was make Tuesday a national holiday, a voting day, election day. Make it a national holiday so everybody can get off work and get out and vote. No-brainer, right? Uh-uh. That makes sense to me. Makes sense to me, too. I'd rather see voting on a weekend. You know, I, I think the whole idea of Tuesday is crazy. But, okay, if you want to make it that, if you agree to that, that's still a big step in the right direction. The goal, again, is to make it easier and encourage everybody to vote. You would think, uh-uh, Mitch McConnell, no. He sees this as the devil incarnate. Just what America needs, another paid holiday and a bunch of government workers being paid to go out and work. I assume our folks on, our colleagues on the other side, on their campaigns. Oh, yeah, that's what it is, right? A democratic ploy to get their people out to, to a power grab on the part of Democrats. They're using these these dangerous tricks like, um, let's see here, uh, uh, democracy. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Like, my God, the idea that more people would vote, uh-uh. That's the last thing Republicans want. Mitch continues, this is just the Democrats make, making trouble. A power grab that's smelling oh, more grab. and more like exactly what it is. Uh-huh. This is crazy. More people vote? That's a power grab on the part of Democrats. Look, there are uh, two things that we know to be true. Don't be afraid of just that. You know, they are, by the way. Republicans, that's why there have been voter efforts to suppress the vote yep. in state after state after state after state. They are afraid of having more people vote because the more people vote, the more people will reject their extremist racist policies. That's it. Period. That, Period. I mean, we know that the higher the vote turnout, the more votes there are for Democrats, right? The more people that actually get up and go vote, the more Democratic votes there will be. So that's, we know that to be true. And we, that could change, by the way. Sure. Oh, absolutely. And if it does, then good for them and bad for us. Yeah. But that could change. There's a roll of the dice. The other thing that's, that is just so naked here in all of this is Republicans know that if they have to get out and defend their ideas— they're going to lose. Yeah. Their ideas are old, in the way, they're not likable. 
on a, on a, on a, like, on a large scale, right? Like, they have lost the battle of ideas. Yeah. And so the only thing they could do now is appoint extremist judges, keep people from voting, put in all sorts of um, uh, uh, voting laws to keep people from the polls. Right. All yeah. that, that, that's how they stay in power. It's not because they're winning the battle of ideas. Yeah. Keep people away. Uh, by the way, one quick little story before we take a break. I, I love the story about that. Do you see down in Florida? Uh, it's a little town called Pembroke Pines. So um, the uh, power company was called up because somebody reported there was a little, looked like a little sinkhole in the middle of the street. So they came out and they investigated the sinkhole, and they and they found out they 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 started and and it kept they kept digging down, digging down, and it turns out. This the sinkhole. What what it was caused by is there was a tunnel under the road. Yeah, and this tunnel, somebody was digging. The tunnel led under the road. By the way, in the tunnel they found power cords. They found a generator. They found batteries, boots, all the equipment. This, this stuff. It's, the tunnel was leading right to a Chase Manhattan bank. Unbelievable. This is right out of I don't know what, but you know, it's El Chapo. It is El Chapo. El right? Chapo yeah. returns, and I thought, I thought immediately of the wall, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this guy was a, a, a just slowly, who knows how long it had taken, digging a tunnel under the street to get into the bank. It's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. You wonder how other, how many other places in in the country that's happening, right? Yeah, but of course, they'll never be able to tunnel under Donald Trump's wall. No, 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 no. no, no. How about it? Uh, what's happening down to the Congress and the White House? We'll find out more from uh, Ben Schreckinger from Politico. Joining us next, White House correspondent for Politico here on the Bill Press Show. Give us a quick break, and we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Take the Bill Press Show anywhere you go. Download our free podcast, search for the Bill Press Show on iTunes, and catch the highlights from every show. And here we are on this Thursday, January 31. Good to have you with us today. It is the Bill Press Show. We are live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., brought to you today by the United Food and Commercial Workers Union. Yes, the members of the UFCW under uh, President Mark Perrone, they're the ones who service us uh, at, um, provide such great service at our great retail chains across the retail grocery chains across the country. They're a proud union family that feeds, serves, and provides for America's hardworking families. As you will find out if you check out their website at ufcw.org. A lot going on in the political world, Congress and the White House, and more and more now on the 2020 front. Ben Schreckinger covers all of the above for uh, the great Politico. Uh, He was banned from the Donald Trump rallies during the 2016 campaign, but we always welcome him to the Bill Press Show. Hello, Ben. Hey, Bill. Thanks for having me. Have you repaired your uh, relationship with the... POTUS? <laughs> I'm working on it. <laughs> slow, slow and steady wins the race, I think. You, you haven't uh, been invited up for like a private dinner or, or drinks in the uh, in the residence yet, right? Not yet, but we're only halfway through the first term. That's of, right. Yeah. Of an unknown number of terms, so got, I still hold out hope. you got a long way to go, right? He could give you, uh, we learned this week, that he loves giving tours of the yeah, Lincoln Yeah, that was bedroom. a great piece by Josh Dossie. Right, you know, and so maybe... You, know, you might one of those might be in your future there. <laughs> Knock on wood. <laughs> All right. Uh, before we jump into uh, more news of the day, 
Peter Ogburn yes, with uh, some of the comments from the last half hour. Lots of comments on Twitter at BP Show at BP Show. Uh, Robert Campbell uh, weighed <laughs> in on the fight between. Kentucky Governor Matt Bevin and Al Roker. This oh. nitwit governor. Yeah, Al Roker <laughs> calling him a nitwit governor. Uh, Robert Campbell says, I'm a Kentuckian, and Al Roker is absolutely right. Yes, I think that's true. Uh, Phil says, the last thing that we were talking about, Foxconn. Uh, Phil oh, says, Foxconn, right. the last thing Trump called the eighth wonder of the world was Trump Taj Mahal in Atlantic City when it opened. <laughs> And then what happened to it? It went bankrupt a couple yeah. of years later, and he had to be bailed out. Uh, on Sarah Huckabee Sanders' comment that God wanted Donald Trump to be president, Jim Johnson says if God wanted Trump to be president, then God also sent Nancy Pelosi to kick his ass. <laughs> uh, yeah. Now that I believe. That I actually believe. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if you have a comment on it. Oh, and by the way, uh, shout out to all of our um, uh, listeners in Chicago. All of the, the uh, Romaine has already weighed in. Mitch has already weighed in. They're all bundling up. They're all doing what they can to oh, stay good, warm. Good. If you're listing somewhere very, 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 very cold, please stay warm. Please stay inside as much as you can. All right. Uh, yeah. WCPT us, Chicago, we are thinking of you and with you. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, just find us on Twitter. Stay inside and tweet at us at BP Show. At BP Show. We're checking your comments all the time. I mean, that's what Donald Trump's doing this morning, right? He's. Staying inside and tweeting. Yeah. Starting pretty early this morning. Um, how do you keep up with this tweet storm? You're a White House correspondent. I, as someone who's covered him since the start of the campaign, I, I've actually learned to tune the tweets out a little bit. Um, obviously, they can drive news cycles. Uh, but if you are stopping everything every time he tweets something that's confusing or, or crazy, um, uh, you're going to end up wasting a lot of time. Obviously, there are exceptions. He, he will uh, announce major staff changes and, and policy changes on, on Twitter, but a lot of it is noise. Well, you know, I'm glad to hear you say that because um, I get the tweets too, and I, I've that's that's what I've learned to do. Part of it is just because it drives me crazy, but not every one of them is newsworthy, right? And a lot of them are repetitive, stuff that, over and over and over again, witch you know, hunt, uh, witch hunt, witch uh, hunt. And every time I see him get off on that tear, I just say, oh, come on, I've heard this before. Right? On that on that point, yesterday he tweeted well, about how the Dow had broken 25,000. That was the third time that he had tweeted that, it, you know, over the course of his presidency. He had tweeted a couple of times. He just keeps coming back to the same stuff. But, uh, Ben, most of the people in the media don't have that discipline. Well... Yeah, people uh, cover his tweets to different extents. I think that uh, there was a lot more running around uh, at the drop of a tweet at the beginning of the administration. Mm -hmm. right. My yeah. sense is that overall uh, people have have become a little uh, a little more insensitive to it, have, have built up a tolerance for uh for discerning between the newsworthy tweets and the newsworthy ones. Okay, let's take one one prime example. I mean, you can ignore a lot of them, but um, but when the president of the United States says that the head of the CIA, the head of the FBI, the director of national intelligence, and the head of the Joint Chiefs and the head of NSA, all of our intelligence head of the intelligence agencies are wrong and ought to go back to school, that's newsworthy. Yeah, I'd say, I'd say that's a medium newsworthy. <laughs> um, I I reserve uh, top newsworthy tweets for when cabinet members get fired and and mm -hmm. uh, 
major shifts in foreign policy get rolled out. Uh, but certainly worth taking note that he's still feuding uh, with his intelligence chiefs. I wonder, maybe wonder also, what the daily intelligence briefings uh, are like, right? If he doesn't trust these people, and as we pointed out in the last half hour, this is not the first time that he's come down on them, right? He is still, he 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 blasted them after they said Russia hacked, tried to meddle in the 2016 election. He's never accepted their conclusion about that. And he's never accepted their conclusion that uh, Mohammed bin Salman ordered the killing of Jamal Khashoggi. He says maybe they did, maybe they didn't, right? So, Yeah, I, I do know that the intelligence community has had to tailor uh, their briefings for Trump's specific uh, way of processing information. It has less to do with trust versus distrust um, and more to do uh, with Attention span? Maybe. Things like attention span, yeah. They've made them shorter and they've made them a lot more visual because uh, that is how he likes to process information. Right. But if this is any indication, they could be get uh, pretty lively if he says that BS, right? I don't believe that. Or Yeah, well, I don't know. I don't know how much the, the, how much the briefers are empowered to argue back <laughs> right, with yeah. the president, but you could imagine uh, that that might be happening. Right. So um, you've written about... Um, this phenomenon called 29-year-old Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. What amazes me is, first of all, talk about somebody who gets a lot of media attention, but also, um, for example, Howard Schultz says he can't run as a Democrat because if he ran as a Democrat, he would be forced to agree with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez that you should raise taxes on uh, uh, put a 70, 70% income tax on income over $10 million. Well, what's he afraid of this freshman member of Congress for, right? I mean, that whole concept that he would have to, as a Democrat, be forced to agree with everything she proposes. But she has really had an impact on Republicans and Democrats, right, as you've reported. Yeah, that's right. Uh she has been able to, uh, as political scientists put it, shift the Overton window overnight. Uh, there was not a lot of conversation <laughs> about uh, a 70% top marginal income tax rate uh, before she started tweeting about it. And now it has risen uh, to the top of the agenda. We're, we're talking about it. Uh, apparently, I didn't see that, that statement from Schultz, but apparently Schultz thinks it's now uh, become the dogma of the Democratic Party. I'm sure yeah. that's something that will have to be argued out uh, in the primary. By the way, good idea or not, it's not the dogma of the Democratic Party. It's one member of Congress's proposal, which is similar to what Elizabeth Warren has proposed. I'm not sure she put Elizabeth Warren put a number on it, right? But raising taxes on the very, very wealthy. And yeah, it's well, it's sort of amazing there. I guess there was also this power vacuum in the Democratic Party where there was no queer single leader of the party uh, at all. And so this 29-year-old woman uh, who is very adept at social media could become uh, apparently in the mind of Howard Schultz or in a statement of Howard Schultz, the, the de facto leader. And I think uh, sort of in the minds of many a uh, de facto leader yeah. of the party. But, and, but as you've reported, you found out that some Republicans actually um, reluctantly maybe admire her. Yeah, and some enthusiastically, and it's, it's not just any Republicans. It's um, it's some far right Republicans, some populist Republicans. Uh, Steve Bannon told me uh, that she has uh, the sort of tenacity and grit that can't be taught in politics that you have to be born with. 
uh, and that he admires that. Uh, Matt Gates, uh, now a sophomore congressman mm-hmm. from Florida mm-hmm. who's very close with Trump, uh, very outspoken, constantly on Fox News, tells me uh, that he aspires to be the conservative AOC, that uh, he would love uh, to be just like her. Uh, he said <laughs> the only problem is that he can't dance. Uh, he said he can't dance for a word that I'm not going to say on your program. Right. Um, Thank you. <laughs> uh, I know the word. <laughs> yeah. but, but a lot of these guys and, and women who uh, say they detest what she stands for, that they, they think that her policies would be disasters, um, are still in awe of what she's achieved politically and in terms of messaging. Right. Um, so we may see the emergence of an AOC on the, on the right. Oh, absolutely. You know, I think that, and this has been remarked on before, and, and AOC has said, has pushed back on this comparison and said that it's it's an unfair comparison. Uh, but she's been compared to Trump in, in many ways, willingness to fight it out with uh, mainstream media, fact checkers, uh, use of Twitter to drive news cycles. Um, so uh, I think that, you know, there's always a way in which the left and the right sort of end up mimicking each other and building on each other's right. innovations. Uh, but I, I'm sure that there, there are people studying her in conservative circles right now trying to figure out how to uh, capture that lightning in a bottle and use it for their ends. I thought it was, um, as you say, she's very adept at social media. And when Howard Schultz started saying, you know, well, this is why I can't, I I I'm, I feel compelled to run as an independent. I can't run as a Democrat because she's there, um, and um, she bounced back and said, "Why is it that billionaires who want to run for office are never told, one for president, are never told you should start at a lower level and work your way up, the way she was told over and over again? You can't run for Congress. You got to run for school board." city council, you know, you got to work your way up the steps, right? And they never tell male billionaires who want to run for president that same thing. That's a good point. Yeah. I'd like to see Howard Schultz's response. I mean, this could be, I mean, there's been a bit <laughs> big Howard Schultz news cycle. Uh, AOC always drives uh, a, a lot of interest. So if they end up in a tit for tat, uh, I'm sure people will be watching. How do you, how do you, um, rate or judge or f- figure out the Howard Schultz. I mean, he, he has gotten s- so much attention in the last, what, it was just Sunday night that he was on 60 Minutes and said, basically, I'm going to run for president and I'm going to run as an independent. And he's dominated the news cycle since. Well, I mean, not entirely, but certainly he's been a big part of the news cycle since. What's the fascination? I think that people are uh, able to latch on to someone like Howard Schultz, who says he's running as an independent, uh, in part because there are so many people already in the Democratic field and so many people considering getting in uh, that have are just less distinct. If there are, are eight senators who might end up in this field, um, hard to focus on, on the fifth senator who, who starts flirting with a run. Uh, I think that a lot of it has to do uh, with uh, the hostility that, that Democrats have greeted his run with, the the fear that he could end up splitting an anti-Trump vote, mm-hmm. uh, and, and the fact that he has made uh, some amateur mistakes in his rollout uh, and is sort of under a microscope. Um, so there's conflict there. Uh, there's a bit of spectacle there. Uh, and I think we're going to have a, a lot of different weeks like this 
focused on a lot of other people who were either getting in the race or or um, flirting with runs. And, and this week is Howard Schultz's week, for better or worse. Well, back to where we started, uh, he's generated so much interest that even Donald Trump tweeted about him. And Donald Trump saying uh, he didn't have the guts to run. <laughs> Which could be read one of two ways, I guess. Uh, I, I think it sort of indicated that Donald Trump would like to see him run. Yeah. In fact, Maggie <laughs> Haberman at the Times tweeted uh, a few hours or a day later uh, that Trump at a fundraiser that evening just admitted, oh, yeah, I was doing that to try to get him in into the race. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, if you go scroll back in Maggie's Twitter feed, you'll see that she has that from someone who I think was in the room. Um so yeah, a somewhat transparent ploy and, and uh, about what you would expect from Trump. But and there's a good reason why he would want Howard Schultz in the race, which is he knows that Howard Schultz would pull votes mainly from Democrats. He's been a lifelong Democrat, right, and would ease Donald Trump's um, ability to win a second term. That's right, and and. Uh, Steve Schmidt, who's advising Schultz, has leaked some internal polling data uh, about what a generic, I think a generic centrist or something like that. They didn't use Schultz's name in the polling data. Um, And according to that, uh, they would pull, uh, peel away 20% of Trump supporters and 24% of, I think in the hypothetical, it was Warren supporters. Um, But I think in reality, it it would be a more pronounced split than that. Um, you know, that's that's pulling almost evenly from from both pools um, in, in this sort of unnamed generic scenario. But I think in reality, uh, you would see uh, Schultz pulling much more significantly from Democrats, which is why they're howling about him and the Republicans are, are not. Right. Yeah. So, you, so, so I, I was interested in 20 percent. They they're what they're saying. They would pull 20 percent from Trump and 24 percent from any Democratic candidate. I and it may have been yeah. specifically Elizabeth Warren. Right. That may have been specifically the matchup. Um, no, I, I think, think you're it right. It may have they been were, Axios that had I th- this. I think it would be a much more one-sided pulling from the Democratic side. I mean, more of his ideas are part of Democratic, typical Democratic policies. And uh, I mean, he's for climate change. He's pro-choice. Um, he wants to cut Social Security and Medicare, which doesn't fit, fit so well with uh, most Democrats. But uh, overall. Uh, I think he'd he'd have a more democrat a more of a democratic message uh, and appeal there. What um, what do you find among um, what impact? Because you're you've talked to a lot of these Trumpers, particularly having covered him in the campaign. What is their reaction to the shutdown? Do they did they enthusiastically back Trump in a shutdown, and are they ready to back him if he tries to shut down the government again, or is this? Does this kind of erode his base a little bit? There is definitely widespread disappointment among his base, a feeling that Trump caved, that he did not get the wall. So they do did support the shutdown if he got the wall, right? A lot of them, yeah. A lot yeah. of them uh, felt that this is what they voted for him to do, to get them a wall, uh, to to not care about what it took, to, to do whatever it took, and to be Trump, you know? Um, to to either refuse to compromise or, or make a deal, um, but certainly not to cave, and, and he's been perceived as caving. 
the conventional wisdom is that this hurts him in, in 2020, uh, in large part for this reason, because it hurts him with his base. Um, I think his campaign has, has floated some internal polling um, that that if you know if accurate would show that that this fight uh, hasn't actually eroded his prospects significantly for 2020. Um, but if you're just taking the temperature of his base, they are quite disappointed. But you know that base, these people that come out to the rallies, those rallies which at one point you were not allowed to attend any longer. I mean, it seems to me, I just question that because not what you said, but what some others have said. Because to me, this base is like with Trump come hell or high water, right? Couldn't they just say, well, look, and I've heard some of them say, you know, he did his best, right? But Nancy Pelosi, you know, wouldn't go for the wall or Mitch McConnell couldn't line up enough Republicans. They find somebody else to blame it on, not Trump. There, there is certainly a measure of that. Um, but his approval did did fall significantly over the course of the shutdown. Uh, and I think there's also an extent to which they're with him come hell or high water as long as what he's doing is standing in defiance of uh, the mainstream media, coastal elites, uh, leader, other leaders of the Republican Party, Democratic leaders. Um, anytime he's looking strong and it's Trump against the world, they'll have his back no matter uh, how, how egregious his actions appear to, to the rest of the country. Um, but that, that's a very different dynamic from uh, giving in and appearing to compromise without uh, getting much in return. Right. And, and part of that message is maybe the reason it's so effective is because it is the message of Rush Limbaugh, Laura Ingram, Ann Coulter. I don't know. You can add a few other Michael people. Michael Savage. Michael Savage. Right. Good. I mean, I was just going to Sean Hannity, I don't think, would break with Trump ever. But some of those others who have been, and they've got their followers, right? And that, that's their message that Trump, you know, Ann Coulter said, George H.W. Bush is no longer the biggest wimp in American politics. Now it's Donald Trump. That's right. Pretty and severe criticism. Savage is very disappointed. I was listening to some of his post-compromise uh, musings, rantings. <laughs> uh, and Coulter, funny you should mention her, she's in this piece about AOC uh, she has now taken to appealing to AOC on Twitter. Uh, she praised uh, the the call for a high marginal tax rate. She suggested, "How about a wealth tax?" Uh, and she felt, "Yeah, oh yeah." She Coulter said, did. Yeah, <laughs> she, she, she praised B- AOC Bill's by face name. right now. <laughs> and um, and yeah, she better be careful because she makes a lot of money off those books. She might be in that category. She but might... look, you know who else loves AOC is Steve Bannon. He well, he said, said yeah, 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 I just yeah, mentioned. Yeah, it's, it's right. like, but um, but yeah. loving AOC, but loving this for Ann Coulter to say she thinks that they ought to be put that tax on the wealthy. Well, remember at one time in his campaign, Donald Trump, you, you I'm sure you were there early in his campaign, he proposed that. He he proposed. I know he at least proposed very early on closing the carried interest loophole. Uh, which is how hedge fund managers manage to make so so much money that gets taxed at a lower rate. Uh, something must have happened. Uh, I don't know. He stopped talking about that pretty yeah. quickly. Um, you can imagine how upsetting that would be to some very rich and powerful people in New York, some of whom uh, you know, would know Donald Trump. Yeah, and some of whom ended up in his administration, right? Like <laughs> yeah, Steve Mnuchin right. and Gary Cohn and some of the others. I have to ask you, 
When you were running around the country and covering him um, in 2016, did you have any idea that one day he'd be president of the United States? Well, Sure. I mean, it was it was at a certain point. It was between him and Hillary Clinton. So I, I mean, was, before then, you know, when they had sixteen candidates or so on stage. I think that there was a, a tension between uh, hearing from a lot of people who were supposed to be the experts and the most well-informed people saying this will never happen. It's impossible, um, and just viscerally seeing the level of enthusiasm that he was getting from the crowds. Right. Yeah. Um, so it was. It was. Yeah. Uh, difficult to reconcile those two things, I would say. And now you get to cover him as president of the United States. Oh, my God. Uh, God save us all. Hi, Ben. Great to see you. Thank you. You can follow Ben at Politico.com. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, friends. Don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show, and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. You want to know how Donald Trump got in the White House? Sarah Huckabee Sanders told us yesterday, God wanted him there. God put him there. Oh, my God. Not mine. <laughs> Maybe hers. Hello, everybody. What do you say? It is Thursday, January 31. So good to see you today. And thanks for being part of the Bill Press Show, live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., reaching out to you everywhere in this great land of ours with all the news of the day on every front. Whether it's happening here in Washington, that's where you find us in our studio on Capitol Hill, happening around the country or around the globe, we're on top of it. We'll tell you what's going on, and you tell us what it all means to you, whether we're talking about the cold, <laughs> which is still the number one story of the day, uh, maybe three-quarters of the country experiencing uh, below freezing temperatures and a great big chunk of the country experiencing sub-zero temperatures. Uh, we've also got the first meeting yesterday here in the Capitol of the new bipartisan commission that was formed as part of the uh, plan to end the shutdown, a commission charged with coming up a plan for border security to avoid yet another shutdown uh, just a little over two weeks away. All of that we will take you through, tell you what's going on, and with a particular look at uh, the latest on 2020 with a good friend, Hannah Trudeau, from the Nas National Journal, National Political Reporter for the National Journal. Good to see you. Thanks I should also mention me. you author the newsletter there, the 2020 newsletter. What's yes, the, uh, hot, the hotline. Ho at the hotline, right? Yes. Uh, which people can sign up for by going to... NationalJournal.com. NationalJournal.com. There you go. <laughs> Lots to get into. Remember, we want to hear from you. Your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. But first, this is the Full Court Press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. So singer Ariana Grande uh, is 
really on top of the world right now. She Everything she seems to do seems to be very, very popular. People love it. So she has a new single out called Seven Rings. Seven Rings. So she went to go get a tattoo on her palm, of all places. It sounds very painful. Uh, but she got a tattoo on her palm to celebrate Seven Rings. Except she got it in Japanese characters. And after she posted on Instagram, people noticed that it did not say Seven Rings. It said Barbecue Grill. What? Barbecue Grill. First of all, enlighten me. Why would she have it in Japanese characters? Well, you, you've seen people who get these phrases done in Japanese characters that mean either, you know, like courage or strength or faith or whatever. They get these things in Japanese because they like the way it looks. Oh. There have been multiple stories over the years that people thought that they were getting something that says, you know, yeah. strength, and it actually means something completely different. Barbecue grill. Barbecue grill, in this case. Well, uh, a little bit of an update to the story. Last night, she went and she actually fixed the tattoo. She corrected it to where she now has a tattoo that says seven rings. But for about 24 hours, she had a tattoo that said barbecue grill. Maybe I should get a tattoo that just says barbecue grill. That's just no tattoo on the palm of your hand. That sounds painful, man. Yeah. That sounds really bad. Uh, hey, have you eaten any frozen chicken nuggets recently? <laughs> I haven't eaten any frozen or non-frozen chicken yeah. nuggets. Well, here's the thing. I don't eat frozen chicken nuggets because I think they taste like rubber. Well, it turns out it might be because they actually have rubber in them. Tyson Foods has recalled 36,420 pounds of chicken nuggets because the products may be contaminated with rubber. Actual rubber. The products that are affected are panko chicken nuggets that were produced Whoa. at the end of last year. Whoa. They were sold in five-pound packages labeled Tyson White Meat Panko Chicken Nuggets. So they are technically on the package. They say that they're still good until November of this year. But customers have complained of what they call extraneous material inside of the nugget. Uh, hey, this is uh, this, this hits home because this is Eastern Shore, Maryland, huh? Tyson. Oh, that's right, Tyson. Yeah, oh, sure. Yeah. By the way. So politicians, they were right all the time. They complained about rubber chicken. <laughs> That's right. This is the Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed. Here we are. The polar vortex still rolling across the country. Stay inside and stay warm. Hello, everybody. It's the Bill Press Show, Thursday, January 31, last day of January 2019. Great to see you today, reaching out to you all across this great land of ours, coast to coast. We're joining you on the radio, on television, and online. Online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. On television, on Free Speech TV, part of the DirecTV network, of course. And on the radio, the great WCPT. Boy, they are right pardon me, in the heartland of the cold, the epicenter of the cold weather uh, there in Chicago. Last I checked, it was minus 34 degrees with the wind chill in Chicago. Uh, so uh, WCPT, we feel for you. We reach out for you and take care of yourselves. Uh, great pleasure to welcome to the studio to talk a little bit about the political scene 2020. Hannah Trudeau from the National Journal and author of the OG 2020 <laughs> newsletter. There it is. OG is oh god. Original. 
Original. Okay. <laughs> good to see you. How good you doing? Good to see you. I'm good, thanks. Right. So there is a new poll out from Politico. Sorry to mention the competition this morning. My former Ten- employer. Is that right? All yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're somehow limping along without you. That's right. Um, and <laughs> it's looking at the front runners for 2020. Um, very early, of course, and most of this is name recognition. But let's start by talking about it because it shows uh, Joe Biden, 33%, Bernie Sanders in second place, 15%, Kamala Harris, third place at 10 and then Elizabeth Warren and is that Beto? Yeah, I think we were talking, yeah, Beto O'Rourke was, was like in the top five. Breaking we talked the about. top No, five. I'm sorry, it's Elizabeth Warren and Cory Booker at mm. 6%. Oh, wow. At okay. 6%, yeah. Tied at 6. Tied at 6, okay. right, yeah. Um, so, um, first of all, very interesting that Kamala Harris, it's been a week, right? Yes. Just about. Yes. And she pops up right behind Bernie and Joe Biden. Yeah, I think she, of all the people who have announced yet, which admittedly there hasn't been too many official announcements, I think she was the one who received the biggest boost post-announcement. She had, um, she announced that she was foregoing sort of the exploratory committee phase and just jumping in full force and then hosted a big rally, which attracted, I, by my latest uh, estimate, I think it was 20,000 people or upwards of that for her yeah. big rally, yeah. uh, kickoff rally in Oakland. And, you know, that was really well executed. She gave a, a really strong, powerful speech that I think um, people were waiting to see how she would roll out her campaign. She wasn't as active as other people in the midterms. She kind of, you know, kept close to the, to the home base in California and, you know, didn't crisscross the country the way some of the other um, candidates did. And so I think there was a lot of anticipation, and I think she delivered on on that. Her rollout has been phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, for, for starting with Good Morning America, mm-hmm. coming down here to Howard University, going down to South Carolina for the sisterhood, mm-hmm. and, and then the big rollout in Oakland, and then leading on to the uh, town hall in Iowa. Yes. Right. Yeah. Along the way, she picked up the endorsement of two members of Congress. Yes. Ted Lieu mm-hmm. and Katie Hill, mm-hmm. both from California, California. Right. Yeah. But I mean, it's while that's not maybe not surprising because they're from her same state. California is obviously, as you know, going to play a huge role in uh, the election process. It's the primary has moved up uh, earlier than it's ever been. There's a huge delegate hall there that she can you know, hopefully capture. So those early endorsements, I think, could help her. Yeah. And she's the only member, only candidate who's had any endorsements from Congress. Yes, that's right. That's right. Right. Yeah, and speaking of California, I mean, I would sort of be remiss not to mention Eric Garcetti declining to run, um, which was just a couple days ago's news. And, you know, I think that is sort of a symptom of seeing seeing her uh, sort of quick ascent to the to the higher levels of the polls and just the, the impressive rollout. He really did a lot in 2017 and 2018 to build the prep work for a potential political campaign. Right, right. But uh, I think, you know, in the end, just decided, look, I can't go up against uh, Harris in my own state. No, I think you're right. And I think uh, Garcetti uh, is a very attractive candidate. Uh, has, been, has been a good mayor, good, strong mayor. Yes. And um, but uh, people that I talked to in California also, having served as Democratic state chair of California at one time, yeah. were, were raising the question whether California could support two presidential right. candidates. Right. Uh, yeah, and, and I she's mean, certainly the stronger of the two and got out there earlier, and I, there's no way he could 
keep up with her. I, I loved his statement. We played this on yesterday's show. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Garcetti 2040, I'd like to say that right now. <laughs> In my deliberations, yeah. I realize that is the best time. So, Hannah, I want you to go ahead and start your 2040 newsletter uh, today. Yeah. Uh, and Eric Garcetti at the top of the right. list. We're already talking 2024, so yeah. I'm ready. Yeah. <laughs> right. So he didn't rule himself completely out yeah. forever, forever. And he's, a, and like ever. you said, he's a likable guy. I think he's he has yeah. a lot of allies. You know, he has mm-hmm. he has a future ahead of him, and he could end up on a VP shortlist. You know, and as so well, as he did last election. So back to this political poll, Joe Biden. I mean, uh, just about. I think he's the top at every poll, right? I mean, so if if Joe and he, the, I think the latest is he keeps teasing, right? He's yeah. very close, very yeah. close to making a decision. I don't think there's any doubt that he runs. Mm. If he jumps, if and when he jumps in, does he sort of preempt the field? I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say because I think that he uh, he has been teasing a lot of people. You know, will he run? Will he will he not run? And I think um, yesterday or the other day, he said earlier this week, he said, I'm not in any hurry um, yeah, to announce. Yeah. So we hear everything from I'm very close to I'm not in any hurry. So and he does, you know, he's done this before. He's done this, you know, last last election. And obviously he's run two times before. So, I mean, of course, he would jump ahead in terms of name recognition. He has a lot of support among um, people who have just followed politics for decades. And of course, he's been in public service for, for many decades. Um, but that being said, I think, you know, just reporting on this day in and day out, there's a lot of interest for newer, fr- you know, fresher faced candidates. So that's not to say he won't jump to the front of the pack. I'm sure he will because of all, you know, all of the things that I just mentioned. But um, I don't think the race is necessarily his to claim um, the way sort of it was with Hillary last time. Right. Uh, who, who then ended up having what she didn't expect, a very surprising challenge from, right. from right. Bernie Sanders. Um, Bernie is like Joe Biden, I think, one who can wait a little yes. bit, yeah, but not too long. But when he jumps in, he also has a built-in support base yeah, and, and organization and record. And I think the thing um, that makes a, a maybe even a stronger case um, for Bernie, which isn't highlighted as much, um, he he has core supporters from last election that are likely to stay with him. Of course, some of them will break off and go to other candidates, but that core progressive base, um, there's not a lot of like hardcore progressive candidates with the same sort of bona fides that he brings and in a lot of his supporters' eyes. And so, of course, Elizabeth Warren, but um, a lot of people, you know, like his track record on those issues. And with Biden, um, I think there's a lot of people who really like and support Biden, but could go to a Kamala Harris or a Cory Booker or Kirsten Gillibrand or who Beto or whoever. Um, so I think that that's you know a little bit underrated in terms of Biden's support. He kind of has people that love him, but could look elsewhere. Whereas mm-hmm. Bernie has a mm-hmm. core group of supporters that I don't think are going to you know be scatter. Who will be who have been with him? Who have been? Twenty sixteen have been since and. Can't, yeah, and I think the big question is how much of that support is it? I mean, how how great of a number is that? Is it enough to win him the nomination, or is it enough to... Well, um, when you have 20 candidates... That's doesn't, right. doesn't take 50% to that's win right. the nomination. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, whether or not Bernie is the force uh, this time <laughs> yeah. around Pardon that me. he was in 2016, if he runs, um, which he's going to run, he's gonna uh, run. <laughs> I think he absolutely has the highest floor... Mm-hmm. Of anybody, of any other candidate in the race, I yeah. mean, he's gonna he's gonna jump in with a large constituency already built in. Yes, right. Which, by the way, Joe Biden does not have not right. having not having run right. And he, you know, there's people who love before. him, but there's people who love new candidates as well. You know, right. 
So we have three senators in so far by my count. I, I think there are only three, Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris, and Kirsten Gillibrand. Right? Yes. Um, there are, well, we just <laughs> mentioned Bernie. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's He's definitely another senator. Mm-hmm. We haven't heard from Amy Klobuchar, Cory Booker, or Sherrod Brown mm-hmm. about when they might jump in. But And then Jeff Merkley has also mm-hmm. been talking about it. I think less likely to get yeah. in. But, but do so. you think uh, we'll we'll see those other three, Booker, Brown, and uh, Klobuchar? I think for sure with Booker. I think he's made the most um, steps towards launching a campaign. He's really staffed up with some top people in a lot of the early voting states and battlegrounds. Um, you know, he's a very top-requested surrogate and was in 2018 for a lot of the down-ballot candidates. He's somebody that really inspires um you know, people to, to come out and see him and to come out and sort of listen to what he has to say. And I think when he does eventually announce, which is expected in the next, you know, couple of weeks, um, he I think he'll take away a little bit of the initial attention that Kamala Harris got just because he'll be another, you know, top tier senator. Um, that So he, he would be my next person. That being said, um, Sherrod Brown is on an interesting uh, sort of listening tour of the country, so to speak, doing um, his dig- dignity of work tour. It's called mm-hmm. um, talking about a lot of labor issues and I think trying to make a little bit of a play at some of those Bernie um, supporters for whom labor was their top issue. Um, he's going to be in New Hampshire in a couple of days. He'll be in you know, Iowa. He's making all of the, the top rounds. And then Amy Klobuchar, um, I'm a little bit more hesitant to say that she'll actually toss her name in, which has been, um, I think, she she's sort of less likely to do the politically expedient thing in terms of, um, you know, launching into joining a pack of 20 people or and especially right. a lot of yeah. her Senate colleagues. I think she's a little bit more cautious and calculated. And a lot of her allies say um, have told me over the past year or two, I she really, really wants to run, but she's not just going to jump into something she doesn't think she can really have a shot at winning. And there's so many other women, and a lot of them are her own colleagues in the Senate. Um, I think it's going to be, you know, it, it's going to be interesting, but I wouldn't I wouldn't bet on her running. It seems that Kamala Harris has sucked up a lot of oxygen out of the room, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. for an Amy Klobuchar particularly. Right, right. In fact, um, we haven't heard from Kirsten Gillibrand since she announced, right? I mean, she fell off the face of the earth. Yeah, so I, whereas Kamala Harris keeps <laughs> pop, you know popping up everywhere. I wouldn't discount um, Kirsten Gillibrand only because she actually does quite well in small um, town hall and group settings when she goes to these house parties in Iowa and in New Hampshire. I'm actually going to New Hampshire today to see her. She's speaking tomorrow at a series of events. And um, I, she's kind of more of a sleeper, dark horse candidate. Dress warmly. <laughs> my home state. So. You know what? <laughs> but, Here's the thing. It's not fair, but my impression of New Hampshire, I've only been to New Hampshire during presidential primaries. Yeah. So I think of New Hampshire freezing. as ice and cold. It gets really hot in the summer, though. And that's not fair because I think it's a beautiful state in the yeah. summer. To me, <laughs> it is just the winter. You know. <laughs> it gets, I mean, it's like 100 degrees in the summer and below zero in the winter. So, Yikes. but she's a, she's I, a, I would keep an eye on her just because. Um, you know, her core issue is is this sort of women's candidate. So there are some, right. you know, 50 percent of the voting population and growing. Yeah, but she's not the only woman out there. She, and she's not. Yeah. So there's pluses and minuses for her. Right. Uh, I just want to mention that um, maybe the kiss of death, but um, George Will, of all people, has mm-hmm. a column today in The Washington Post praising Amy Klobuchar, Amy Klobuchar oh, interesting. Yeah. as the uh, Democrats answer to yeah. Um, well, she's very. She gets a lot of bipartisan candidate. support. She's great. She's great. Yeah. Uh, um, 
And you did mention along in passing Beto. Mm-hmm. Who knows what's in his mind, right? Yeah. I mean, total, to talk about a totally unorthodox approach. <laughs> well, we've seen that before, rollout. I yeah, think. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, you know, there's there's all these draft Beto movements trying to convince him to run, sort of doing the, the groundwork for him. I'm, I'm not sure if he's going to, you know, end up pulling the trigger in the end because he, um, you know, like you said, he it's very unorthodox. He hasn't built up a network of... Um, staff, a network of advisors he can rely on. He hasn't started courting donors, as far as I know. Um, and he's just kind of doing his own thing right now. So I think we're just going to wait and see. If he does enter the race, I think it will be later in the next, probably not not before March. And he figures he can do that, I guess. I guess so. Uh, but I would be I would just caution that the midterm momentum that he gained in 2018 mm-hmm. can only last so long and people kind of forget and it's on to the really top tier presidential candidates and so by the way yeah the him. first um the, the first debates among democratic primary candidates will be in june mm-hmm. we don't have a date yet i don't believe no. or a place but tom perez the democratic national chair has announced that that and they're trying to figure out because they'll have to have they can't get them all on one yeah. stage I, you know at one time there were 32 candidates mm-hmm. i don't they're not going to be 30 we talked about this with you hannah yeah uh, at the end of last year we, yeah. we i think we got up to I think 33 we got up to. Uh, yeah, and we've already game. seen yeah, people dropping out. My, I forget now who it was. Julian I Castro. A, I think we forgot. Yeah, we, we forgot. forgot. Who's now Castro. a declared candidate. Who's now in. Yeah. yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's interesting because we did count, and uh, not just us, but there was sort of spec- widely speculated that there would be, you know, two to three dozen candidates. But we've seen a, a sharp sort of cutting of the field over the past week or two. There's been almost a dozen people who we really thought were going to run, like Tom Steyer, Tom Eric, Steyer Garcetti, Eric Garcetti, Michael Avenatti for a while we talked about. Avenatti, um, Ojeda, Richard, Richard Ojeda, Ojeda, Andrew Cuomo. Andrew Cuomo, Those are that's five. five. They um, took themselves out, right? Yeah, no, and, and, and that's... And, and there'll I, be others. Yeah, I others. think Seth, I think, you know, Seth Moulton and Tim Ryan might not actually run in the end, and they're widely you know, thought right, to be. So right. there, there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of surprises, um, you know, just in the early rollout here. And that narrows the field a lot. E- Elizabeth Warren, um, as you point out, she, a lot of people wanted her to run in 2016. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think from my conversations with Senator Sanders early on, that mm-hmm. if she had run, he would not have run. Mm-hmm. Yep. But she right. didn't and he did. Yeah. Um. So now she's coming back saying, okay, now, now I'm going to do it. And yeah. a lot of people, I think, resent the fact that she didn't run yes. in 2016. That was her opportunity and that she's, you know, um, okay, you blew it and so not going to work this time. And she's out there, though. Uh, she calls herself the nerd candidate, mm-hmm. I think, right? Yeah. That's her approach is just to talk substantive policy. Yes. She thinks that's what people and I, are ready you know, for. I think she had an impressive rollout, too. She kind of caught everybody by surprise doing it on New Year's Eve day, and I think that that was really smart for mm-hmm. her because it gave her a week of solid media attention to herself. And now, you yeah. know, if, if Julian Castro announced he didn't quite get the same Kirsten Gillibrand, there's, people are sort of scrambling and competing. Pete Buttigieg, the mayor of South Bend, Indiana. Oh, let's not forget him. You right. know, so it, now it's going to be a real race to, like, when are you going to announce and how much media attention are you going to get to yourself for a sustained amount of time. And I think Warren really um, hit the sweet spot with about a week or a week and a half to herself. That being said, what you mentioned about the the Sanders um, supporters kind of having that resentment, I think that that's true. I think um, 
one of the early questions in following this was uh, whether she would take a substantial amount of his supporters away from him and then they would kind of divide up this very left wing. um, I don't think so. I don't think so. And she's actually actively courting more of the Hillary voters than the Bernie voters uh, from everything I've seen. Speaking of Hillary, yesterday (laughs) we did spend some time talking about Jeff Zeleny from CNN. Mm -hmm. Uh, His report that uh, Hillary had told three people she had not closed the door Mm -hmm. on 2020, God forbid, um, this morning, John Podesta, mm-hmm. her campaign manager, is reported as saying she w- he's talked to her. Yes. She is not running. Yes. And good move. <laughs> I've talked to a source who is very close to her, uh, who, you know, very reliable source who talks to her regularly, who said she is not running, you know, just so, you know, to add my two cents of reporting's worth in that. Very good. Thank you for <laughs> uh, for adding. You know, it would be nice to hear from her. Right. Yeah. She doesn't have to endorse anybody. Yeah. She shouldn't this early, but just say, Yeah. by the way, some people have talked to me that I'm very gratified, I'm honored, Right. I did my well, best, there's no, didn't make it. there's but. no downside to having people talk about you, you know, at least speculate that you're going to run, I guess. Only just drives me crazy. <laughs> <laughs> It's the Clintons. They just, they're happy that anybody's talking about it. That's right. Them. Right. You know what I mean? Okay. So then, um, can't avoid it. There was one candidate I was sort of interested in. I wanted to hear what he had to say. Mm-hmm. I thought he would bring a totally different perspective to the Democratic primary uh, as a uh, successful businessman and mm. with his practical. I was wondering who ideas. you were talking about for a second. Lifelong Democrat. Lifelong Democrat. Yes. And then, what the hell? John, Howard Schultz now is just basically running. As an anti-Democrat. Right. Yeah, I think Howard Schultz is really making a lot of people very upset right now, to put it diplomatically. Yeah. Um, yep. I think, yeah, I think he's he's not, um, he's angered people that wanted, that sort of would have welcomed him in an open primary as, as a billionaire. You know, he, he brings something unique to the table. Um, certainly, if Tom Steyer, who is also a billionaire, didn't run, he could be the billionaire candidate. Now, is that good in a Democratic primary? You know, who knows? But he's a, he has a different perspective. And now... Um, I think this independent looks like he's going to really take a take a stab at this independent run. Um, I think it's really infuriating a lot of people, not just not just sort of um, establishment type of Democrats in the party, but just regular people um, are saying, you know, what are what are you doing? You're going to make Trump win. And that, you know, that remains to be seen. But that's the sentiment out there. But, you know, it is true. I mean, look, I think in the end he would not have gotten my vote because um, he has said some things which don't represent my right. uh, policy objectives, like cutting Social Security, cutting Medicare. Um, he's against uh, a, a graduated increased tax on the very, very wealthiest mm-hmm. people in this, like him. Mm-hmm. But still, I think his voice in the Democratic primary would have been welcome. Yeah. And he would get out there and, like everybody else, throw their ideas out and let the voters decide. Instead, right. he has said, I'm going to go on a totally different path, which we have seen um, is impossible where it's impossible to win, and all you can do is screw things up and take votes away from the front runner and elect somebody like reelect Donald Trump. Right, and I think um, it's interesting just in contrast to somebody like Bloomberg, who is also a billionaire, right. who uh, changed his party affiliation from Republican to Democrat just to compete <laughs> in the primary. So I don't know if that will win Bloomberg any any brownie points among fellow Dems, you know, for doing that and saying, look, he was willing to compete with everybody else. You know, why aren't you? But I think it's certainly it's, it's an interesting contrast. Right. I mean, Bloomberg has said um, 
yeah, I'm going to run as a Democrat, and it's insane to run as an independent. Right. He spent a lot of money in 2016 looking at the possibility of running. But you know who else did as an independent? So did Donald Trump. Right. Remember? Donald Trump came to the same conclusion. Yeah. You can't do. You can't win. Like it or not, and and I I don't love it. I mean, like it or not, it's a two-party system. Uh, Mm -hmm. You're right. And we've talked about that. I would love to see a viable third party. Sure. Mm -hmm. But the system today is rigged against an independent party. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, uh, in terms of ability to get on the ballots, being part of the debates, and um, being part of the, you know, have, having your opportunity to get the word out there, it's really rigged against you. Yeah, so. and I think the other part of it with him specifically is um, with Democrats, they feel the stakes are so high, you know, right now that this isn't necessarily the time to like experiment with a third party run when it's when it's Trump and that's their sort of ultimate goal is I don't care who the nominee is as long as they can be Trump. A lot of people say that. And so I I think maybe that people would have been open to a third party candidate if like regular people if it were, you know, a somewhat benign type of Republican in their eyes. But when right. it's when it's Trump and it's like an all high stakes, you know, matchup, I think people that's kind of escalated the anger. All right. So if we have a list of the those who are left, we're still probably talking about as many as 15 to 20 mm-hmm. Democratic candidates who could jump in. Mm-hmm. Uh, how long is your list of uh, challengers to Donald Trump in the Republican primary? Well, Jeff Flake said he's out, so he's not going to run. Big he was, surprise. Yeah. He, I think the Kavanaugh vote may have uh, sealed the deal for him on that. Um, but the the challenger list for Donald Trump is not very long. <laughs> you know, I don't think it's going to be successful if somebody tries to really mount some type of, of challenge against him. By the way, I saw last night Chris Christie, who's out on the book tour, did not rule out that he would run against Donald Trump. He, he left the door open a little bit. Chris Christie has left it open. I think Mitt Romney has left it open. Obviously, John Kasich has left it open. Um, but I think, you know, a lot yeah, of these Kasich people have just run. took a job with CNN. Right. So he's on the sidelines for a year. Yeah. and Chris I, Christie would be very interesting because. They have such a I crazy mean, relationship. Yeah, Donald yeah. Trump accused him in the bridge game yeah. of selling out. I mean, doing the whole, he he oh, yeah. said Chris Christie lie, and then and then Christie turned around and was wasn't he the first one, one of the first ones to endorse Trump? Yeah, I mean, and so yeah, <laughs> yeah. Kind of, and has met with him about different cabinet positions that have opened up. Well, and, a month ago, he met with him about being the new chief of staff. That's right. Yeah. 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 So that's an interesting. I mean, the thing is, like, By the with, way, I'd lo- I would love to see that, but I mean, Christie would have some explaining to do about, about. I mean, I remember that. Remember that um, in, in the primary, we we used to always laugh about Chris Christie would be standing in back of Donald Trump. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, the hostage. Yeah. The, the hostage. Host- yeah. 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 That's right. I so, completely forgot about. Yeah. All me that. too. God, it seems like forever ago. That's what we called him at the time. Yeah. yeah he looked like the hostage. Yeah, and I mean, <laughs> it's also important, like, to remember Kasich and and Christie ran against Trump before and were right. unsuccessful. Yes. So I mean, even if they do, I mean, things have changed and, and stuff. But you know, I I would just caution them because they've run against him and didn't. So end what up you're well. saying is, um, he'll have a free ride. Nobody's going to run against him. I think people might try and feel that it's not working. That's my. I don't cover the Republicans as closely, so but that's my kind of instinct I'm, to say that. I'm very upset that we didn't get into Larry Hogan. Larry Hogan's <laughs> well, being was, talked about too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, right. I mean, I don't know. That's where we are. 
Right, right. It's so right. exhausted the field. Yeah. Nikki so Haley far, said she's not going to do it. You know, yeah. Nikki Haley would be a great. She would be an interesting person. Right. Yeah, a very stark Larry contrast. Hogan, I don't think so, Peter. With all apologies, I know you live in Maryland now, but. <laughs> um, but I think it's like who is a stark contrast from Trump? I mean, Chris Christie has a lot of the same kind of tendencies and mannerisms as Trump, with his bombast, and you know, John Kasich ran against him very unsuccessfully. I think Nikki Haley would be a really interesting person to take him on, but she's categorically ruled it out so for now at least in for this cycle so steve bannon well, steve, <laughs> steve bannon there was a rumor campaign. about steve bannon running for president not, i hadn't not, seen this time, that a long, this was a while back this was a while <laughs> you back. must have missed that one <laughs> well uh it did start too early anna but at least that's good for you right yeah it's been great uh more material for the newsletter and <laughs> that's right. there's been no lack of material no the there hasn't on the there presidential hasn't. front yeah uh, you're going to be tired of it, though. <laughs> I a- love it. Uh, I love it. A year from now, 18 <laughs> months from now, you're going to say, get it over with. Man. And you're right. Then we'll start talking about 2024. Oh, my gosh. Nonstop. Hannah Trudeau Crazy. from the National Journal, nationaljournal.com. And Congress now uh, underway, taking a look at what kind of funding are they going to put up for border security and for what. Claire Foran joins us. Mm-hmm. Bring us up to date on that from CNN coming up first next on The Bill Press Show. This is The Bill Press Show. Thursday, last day of January 2019. It is, that's the 31st, by the way. It is The Bill Press Show. Here we are joining all of you from our studio in Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. and uh, ending up right alongside of you wherever you are in the United States of America and around the globe as well. Joining you online, on the radio, and on television. Brought to you today by the International Association of Iron Workers. Yes, indeed. Members of the Iron Workers Union under President Eric Dean. Rebuilding our communities today and ready to rebuild our infrastructure tomorrow. Um, as long as Congress gets its act together. Check out their website at ironworkers.org. Um, and speaking of Congress getting its act together... Uh, what are they doing in this interim between shutdowns? Claire Foran covers the Congress for CNN and uh, joins us in studio. Claire, it's been a while. Nice I to know. have you back. It's great to see you. Yesterday, the big meeting of the new commission, is that what it's called, not a committee? Yeah, so, I, well, I think they are calling it a like a bipartisan conference committee. So it's yeah. uh, okay. negotiators, Republicans and Democrats from the House and the Senate and you know, they have this really daunting task ahead of them, which is that they're supposed to come to some kind of a compromise when, you know, Democrats have been pretty firm uh, throughout the shutdown negotiations that they're not going to give, you know, new money for a wall. And, and that's what Trump wants. So now they're trying to kind of bridge that gap. And they had their first meeting yesterday on Capitol Hill. Right. So they will come up with a proposal that then goes to both houses of Congress. Correct. Yeah, I mean, I believe, you know, they're try- so specifically they're trying to negotiate some kind of a Department of Homeland Security <laughs> funding right. funding bill. And, and and then the sticking point there is that, you know, is there going to be wall money or not? And uh, so Trump has has repeatedly asked for five point seven billion dollars in wall funding. And yesterday, uh, after the first meeting of the committee, uh, House Democratic negotiators had a press conference and they just made really clear there's no money for a border wall in their opening bid. So obviously this is going to keep going. And they did also say, you know, right now we're not 
you know, this is sort of our opening offer. So nothing set in stone yet doesn't necessarily mean what, you know, what happened on day one is where they'll end up. But they did make that clear as kind of an opening opening bid, no wall money. And uh, but other money, other money for other kinds of border security. Yes. So Democrats have, you know, made clear from the beginning of this whole shutdown fight that they do support you know, other border security measures, um, and they are willing to spend money on um, other measures, including things like improving infrastructure at ports of entries, you know, helping uh, give more money for immigration judges to deal with like a backlog of, of cases. And so one of the so they so House Democrats uh, released a proposal yesterday and they said this is kind of our opening offer. And it goes through, you know, a number of bullet points and includes it says things like they're willing to provide money for like a a thousand new customs officers at the border to hire new homeland uh, security agents to deal with things like drug smuggling. So they are basically saying, you know, we are willing to do uh, to take action on border security. But right now, no wall money. And by the way, um Donald Trump has been tweeting this morning, uh, yes. starting very, very early this morning. Uh, and there all, there's all this semantics about the wall. It seems like every time he talks about the wall, it's different, right? It, he has gone back and forth between yeah, it's the concrete, concrete wall, barriers, it's steel, steel slats. slats. It's got solar panels on top. It's uh, a see-through wall. I mean, it's hard to keep track with what he means by wall. But, Peter, I don't know whether you have it handy or maybe I do it on my phone. But... This morning, I saw he was tweeting about the wall. Basically, oh yeah, yeah, I can I can pull it up here really quickly because he, you know, a wall it, is a wall is a wall, basically, huh? Sounding yeah, like Gertrude Stein. It's interesting that Trump has had no public appearances in the last five days, but he just sort of lives. He hasn't been out of his bedroom in the last five no, days. He just lives on on Twitter. But yeah, yeah. you're right. Um, oh, stop it! What are you doing? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm trying to find, yeah, let's just call them walls from now on and stop playing political games. A wall is a wall. Right. It sounds like he's back on the concrete barrier. Hard to know because, I mean, because previously he had sort of said, look, if Democrats want to call it steel slats, which which wasn't something actually that Democrats had been talking about, but he had said, that's fine, we can call it steel slats, and, and he's also talked about wanting to have visibility. So anyways, I yeah, I wasn't really sure what to make of the tweets this morning, other than that he is obviously, you know, continuing to push this message that he wants a wall. And at this point, there's no wall money in this in this package that's getting negotiated. Okay. So uh, you mentioned that Democrats said here is our initial opening. Are the Republicans on the... Was this a... An open hearing yesterday? Yeah, so interestingly, they decided to televise this initial meeting. So it was broadcast on C-SPAN. And it wasn't, you know, I will say it wasn't a lot, not a lot came of it. It was basically kind of like an opening statements day where Democrats sort of said, look, we believe in border security. Here are what, here's some things that we're willing to consider. And Republicans kind of went down the line and largely sort of reiterated kind of their existing position, which was sort of saying, we think that there needs to be border security and we think there needs to be, you know, barriers at the border. There needs to be a wall. So there wasn't a lot of. So they it, started out asking for the five point seven billion. Well, I, I don't know if that, you know, what I heard when I was watching it was was Republicans saying, like, kind of making a case for the border wall. I didn't hear them drawing like a bright line. But but, you know, you had like. 
Senator Richard Shelby, who's the Republican chair of the Senate Appropriations <coughs> Committee, he talked to reporters ahead of the meeting. And one of the reporters on our team, I think, asked something like, you know, how is President Trump's position going to be represented in this? And he said, like, well, of course, that's going to be something that I'll probably be kind of alluding to. And he talked about how it would be really difficult to override any kind of presidential veto. So the Republicans on the committee are certainly going in, kind of setting the expectation that, you know, if Trump doesn't sign off on this, it's not going to really work. Um, So, you know, I think they're kind of making that that message clear. But I do think both sides are also trying not to draw too hard of lines because they are sort of just starting and no one in Congress really wants a shutdown either. So, you know, you even saw Democrats yesterday saying some things like, well, we're not going to rule anything out just yet, even though they were saying no border wall money. But, you know, uh, Nita Lowy, the chairwoman of the House Appropriations Committee, like she did say, like, everything's on the table. So it's like I think everybody's sort of trying to kind of not you know, not well, kind of blow this up immediately. Well, it's their first yeah. meeting, yeah. I think. That they, exactly. But so it, it, it seems to me that this is not heavy lifting or shouldn't have to be because, uh, as you know better than anyone, uh, in December, the Senate unanimously voted for one plan, yeah. Republicans and Democrats, unanimously under yeah. Mitch McConnell. Um, and that sort of reflects where the Senate stands, or at least did at that time, why can't they just, and that did not have any money for the wall, Yeah. why can't they just push that through? That would get through the House in a New York second and and send it to Donald Trump. Well, and, you know, that's to some extent what they kind of did with this three-week CR, which was just, you know, let's just pass a stopgap. But, I mean, you know, there's kind of a question of could they do a longer term that just says, like, look, we can't really reach an agreement, but let's just keep existing levels, which would be about like 1.3 trillion, uh, no, billion dollars for border security. And um, I mean, I don't know. I think it's just going to come down to Trump, which is what it came down to before, because I think I think, as you point well, out, you know, Senate Republicans clearly would be willing to <coughs> to pass a stopgap yeah. measure. That's what they did in December. That's how they and wanted if Trump to handle caved this. once. And, why don't we believe he would cave again? I think no matter what he says, I mean, you know, the interesting thing talking to people on the Hill about this and what our team has kind of gathered from our reporting is just that Trump has just injected such a high degree of uncertainty into all of this. And it's really made negotiations difficult because it's really been, I think, lawmakers on both sides have really just not known, you know, is he willing to is he willing to back off? Is he or is he not? And that's really what got us into the situation in December, because Senate Republicans really thought they felt very assured, you know, Mitch McConnell would not have moved that bill that didn't include well money if he didn't feel very confident that the president was going to sign it, because that's not how Mitch McConnell works. He doesn't take up bills that, you know, he thinks are not going to not going to go anywhere. And um, they passed that, you know, there was Senate Republicans were saying we feel confident, publicly saying we feel confident Trump will sign it. And then within a period of about 24 hours, the situation completely changed after, you know, conservative media attacked Trump over it. Right, so uh, for the last two days, Peter and I have been going back and forth uh, with our viewers and our listeners about the key question to me is, or what I think to us is, when it comes to that point that three weeks is up for February 14th at midnight yeah, uh, and Donald Trump says, I didn't get my wall, I'm going to shut down the government again. 
at that point, will Republicans walk off the cliff, walk the plank for him again? Or will they finally say, no, you're not? Because you're right. We had Mitch McConnell. We played the clip yesterday where he said, I don't like shutdowns. They don't work. Bum, 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 bum. Will Republicans stick with Donald Trump if he tries a second shutdown? You know, I mean, it's I think that there would definitely be more protesting kind of like I think you would more certainly I think you'd see more defections. But I think, you know, would we hit that critical mass of whatever it would take to really kind of override his override veto? him? I don't know. I mean, because I think. You know, Senate Republicans tend to stick pretty closely with the president. And, you know, there's there were some defections uh, there. You know, there was some grumbling and there was reporting that, you know, Mitch McConnell was hearing frustration from his members that there was no strategy from the White House. But, you know, that's that stays largely behind closed doors. And, it, you know, there it gets reported on. But it's not you don't see a lot of Republicans openly saying, you know, the president is wrong or going as far as to say that, you know, kind of draw a red line. So I don't know. I think that we could certainly see another shutdown. Um, And then, of course, the president has also talked about some kind of executive action. The emergency declaration. Right. Uh, On another issue, um, it was, uh, I mean, Congress, I know a lot of members there think, okay, We've focused on the nothing but the wall for the last month. Let's try to get some other stuff done. Uh, yesterday, there was a measure in the Senate, at least discussed, about making Election Day a national holiday um, to make it easier for people to vote. So they have the day off. They don't have to worry about um, uh, uh, about losing, leaving the job or maybe losing their job. Um, got a lot of support except for Mitch McConnell. Here he is. Just what America needs, another paid holiday and a bunch of government workers being paid to go out and work. I assume our folks on our colleagues on the other side on their campaigns. So Mitch McConnell sees it as a nefarious plot on the part of Democrats. In fact, he calls it here a power grab. A power grab that's smelling more and more like exactly what it is. Um, Interesting. You know, the idea I thought universal goal, make it easier for everybody to vote, right? Any way you can encourage people to get out and vote. It's not Mitch McConnell's plan. Yeah, and I guess it sort of, you know, it kind of highlights this dynamic that we'll see now, you know, with the House Democrats have power, they're empowered, and and they can now finally start to push, you know, they've had to deal with uh, the shutdown, and that's been, that sort of hindered them to some extent from being able to kind of put forward a proactive kind of policy agenda. But now, they're still dealing with the shutdown, but they have a little bit more room to do that. But then, of course, you know, you've got Mitch McConnell in the Senate ready to sort of block, you know, whatever House Democrats try to push. Uh, and on the House side yesterday, um, the what they spent some time on, again, getting away from the wall for a, uh, a, a chance, was um, pay um, pay equity legislation for, mm-hmm. yeah. for women. Yep. Um, we thought that whole thing had been resolved. Uh, years ago under President Obama when he signed the Lilly Ledbetter Act, um, but not so much. Here is a Speaker Pelosi yesterday when they introduced their legislation for pay equity. The Lilly Ledbetter Act. It was the first bill signed by President Barack Obama 10 years ago today. That is the priority he and we placed on workplace fairness. Uh, and by the way, there at 
the, I don't know whether you were there at the news conference yesterday when they introduced this bill, but actually Lily Ledbetter herself was there oh, yeah, in I support wasn't, I of wasn't the legislation. There, yeah. President yeah. Kennedy signed that equal pay law in 1963. But 50 years later, women are still being paid only 80 cents for every dollar men earn. There you go. Well, but still 50 years later, we still haven't reached uh, pay equity. But I guess this is, uh, but, but I think it's a very important bill. I hope it passes, and I would hope that even Republicans in the Senate would support it. We'll see. But it's a sign that Nancy Pelosi has her own agenda that she wants to get Moving on, right? Yeah, absolutely, and and I think. And what else do you see? Uh, you know, yeah, on so the list? I think that um, you know Democrats have made one of the first bills that they introduced, and this was in January, was uh, an expanded gun background checks bill. I think that they'll make you know gun violence and efforts to counter gun violence a, a key priority. Um, I I believe the House Judiciary Committee is going to hold its first gun violence focused hearing next week, actually, which will be, you know, and I think with the committees, it'll, you know, Democrats will have a powerful platform to really just spotlight essentially kind of an alternate agenda and and take up issues that weren't getting talked about when Republicans had the power to set the committee agenda. Another thing that I think will be really interesting to see unfold is, you know, what Democrats do and the extent to which they prioritize climate change. So I think Mm-hmm. I also saw I think it was the Energy and Commerce Committee was saying that, you know, they're going to have their first climate change hearing and, and, and really making the point that it'll be the first hearing in years, you know, because that just wasn't an issue that Republicans, Republicans were talking about at all. Didn't want to talk about it. No, no. they didn't want to talk about it. And um, and then I also saw some interesting reporting. I think it was Axios this morning saying that. There might be we might get to see a bill introduction as early as I think next week on a Green New Deal proposal. Mm, So mm -hmm. finally, some more policy specifics from uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And uh, so, you know, so some of that is going to be dictated by Pelosi and some of it will be, you know, other members that are kind of people like Ocasio-Cortez who have already shown, you know, remarkable ability for freshmen to sort of set the agenda in their own way and kind of force issues into the conversation. But I think it'll be really interesting to see, you know, what Democrats do with that. And then I guess the question is, yeah, is anything going to go anywhere? Right. Um, In terms of um, of the Democratic agenda as well, it's the legislative agenda we've been talking about. And there's also the oversight. Oversight. Yeah. um, Investigative uh, charge of the Democrats as well. Um, On that front. I believe I read that um, Elijah Cummings, the chair of the Oversight Committee, his first hearing is going to be on drug pricing. Oh, really? Prescription drug pricing. Right. Again, part of the Democratic agenda, which is uh, everybody's talked about drug pricing for so long, the price of prescription drugs. We're going to do something about it and pass some legislation there. Do you think that's something that might get some bipartisan support in the Senate? Yeah. Donald Trump's talked about it. Yeah, absolutely. Hasn't done anything about it, but talked about it. Yeah, there's that. And then there's, of course, people always talk about infrastructure as the ever-elusive thing that might get bipartisan support. Though. This is Infrastructure Week, isn't it? It's, it's, always, it's always Infrastructure always. Week. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, of course, on the House Intelligence Committee, uh, Adam Schiff has scheduled, I think the first hearing is next week, to hear from Michael Cohen. 
Behind closed doors, sadly. Yes, yes. So we'll have to see, you know, what what members say about that and how much they can uh, disclose after he meets um, with uh, with committee members. But yes, that's expected to certainly be a big hearing. Yeah. I don't know if you yeah. saw, uh, you know, the John Bolton got photographed with this yellow legal pad saying 50,000 oh, 5, right. troops to Columbia, right? 5,000 troops to Columbia. to Columbia. Yeah. So Ted Lieu on Twitter uh, posted a photo of him at a vending machine with a yellow legal pad in hand that says, 5,000 documents subpoenaed by House Judiciary. <laughs> <laughs> as the sort of a knock towards John Bolton. Yeah. <laughs> a good encapsulation, I guess, of, of sort of the Democratic oversight yeah, push. Yeah, um, totally. Right. So um, what impact have these uh, freshman members had on this uh, new Congress? Well, I think that, you know, I think we're kind of seeing how everybody's working together and it's you know I think it's interesting because we have a mix and I you know I I talked about this with Peter before when we were talking about new Congress at the end of the year but it's it's you know some of the most some of the new members that are kind of getting the most attention are some of the most progressive uh, of the bunch people like Alexandria Ocasio Cortez and then you also have Rashida Tlaib who is in a lot of ways you know kind of shaking things up and and making headlines and um, and she's also very progressive. Uh, but then, you know, probably most of, of the new members are actually <coughs> from, you know, swing districts or districts that right, were previously right. Republican held that got like flipped. Like Abigail and Spanberger, people like, yeah. And, and so, you know, those Democrats aren't necessarily going to be, you know, they're going to have more incentive to sort of stay a little bit more towards the center than going you know, super liberal. So I think there'll be some kind of push pull with that. And, um, uh, and I but think collectively, whether they're more to the left or more toward the center, um, this is a freshman class that is not going to be content to wait their turn. Right. Yeah. I and think wait that, until they've been there like six years before well, they would and, speak out. And a lot out. of them haven't held office before, which I do think is kind of an interesting dynamic. I mean, you have a lot of, um, I think it's just sort of the kind of collective, you know, everybody kind of wants an outsider candidate. People are really sick of the establishment in general, you know, whether or not there's a particular ideology attached to it. So you had a lot of people running that were not, you know, didn't come from sort of the political establishment. So, yes, I think across the board, you have a lot of people that just are new to politics and don't feel don't feel sort of that they owe anything to, you know, the kind of the party structure or sort of don't feel like they need to wait their turn because they didn't, and that's not how they kind of approach their run for Congress. So. Right, and I'm sure there are people who are saying, no, you just got to lay low, right? Don't make waves, right? Your time will come. Uh, and they're saying, I I, understand. I love it, the fact. There's, their, their, their attitude seems to be, what the hell? I was elected. You know, I've got the power. I've got as much power as you do. If you might have been here 30 years, but my votes is counts as much as your vote yeah. and uh and who knows how long I'm going to be here and I'm going to hit the ground running yeah and I do think there's a Go sense for it. yeah and I think you know I was mentioning that a fair number come from swing districts but even so I do think that you know even if they're coming from 
kind of purple areas, they yeah. still won yeah. in a midterm that was sort of seen as, you know, this big blue wave that was a rebuke of the president. And they still won in areas where and, there was this backlash. And let's so face I think it, there's... they may be, and I forget the names of some of them, but I, I met a few of them from the Midwest. They may not be as far to the left on the progressive scale as an AOC, but they're definitely somewhere on the progressive scale, right? Yeah. Compared to the person that they, whose place they took. Right, right. right. So and, they're and not they're talking about in. swinging the Democratic Party yeah. like to the far right or even back to right of center. And I think even ones that are coming from swing, swing districts are coming in feeling like a lesson learned from the midterms was that there was a backlash against the president, against a Republican-controlled Congress, and feeling like they have you know something of a mandate to do things differently, to challenge the president. And so even in places where... It's, you know, not a super blue district. Mm -hmm. How many um, of the 16 members who were the little cabal that was trying to dump Nancy Pelosi, how many of them have stood up and said publicly, that would have been a big mistake. We're sorry that we did that. Oh, I mean, well, you know, <laughs> I don't know post the actual vote, but I mean, in the end, at the end of the day, you know, very few actually stood firm and opposed her. I mean, yeah, it really yeah. was just a handful whittled down to a very small number. She picked yeah. them off one at a time. Yeah. Even. She was very effective at doing that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She, 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 yeah. She really showed who's in charge um, in the House. And I think uh, Donald Trump has learned that lesson, too. Yep. Different ball game now. Indeed. Yeah. It's interesting to see him trying to figure out how to. He, how yeah. to kind of approach her. She has him totally buffaloed. He doesn't know how to handle her. Uh, it is great to watch. And Claire, uh, you're lucky to be there right in the middle of it for CNN at CNN.com. Thanks so much for coming in. Thanks okay. for having me. Claire Foran. And we'll be back tomorrow with Jason Dix. This Dick. is The Bill Press Show.